I'm Jackson Licka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, what is driving momentum for driverless machinery in agriculture, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll look to get it added here as well. I also encourage you to mark your calendars and plan to attend the upcoming Precision Farming Dealer Summit, January 8th and 9th in Louisville. The theme of this dealer-only event is bridging the precision profitability gap and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit PrecisionFarmingDealersSummit.com for more information and program updates. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm, Smart Solution, will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Well, fully autonomous vehicles in agriculture are likely still several years away, but there also may be a simpler, more efficient pathway to extending the life of farm machinery, while also improving performance. But what does the word autonomy really mean? In its broad definition of self-sufficiency, we already see autonomy in the field. There are combines that separate corn from the cob and vehicles that steer themselves. And some argue that we've had autonomous vehicles in the field for 20 years. But the question really is, what level of autonomy do farmers really need? In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, we welcome in Craig Schultz, president of the Autonomous Tractor Corporation, to discuss electric-based power systems as one of the alternatives to full autonomy being pursued to improve fuel economy while reducing farm equipment repair costs. I will start out by saying that the Autonomous Tractor Corporation is probably not the right name for my company. And I only learned that after trying to work in autonomous agricultural vehicles for the last uh, five years. And some of what I will go through here will explain why autonomous is probably not the right place to start. Tractors, definitely not the right one in the middle. Corporation, we are absolutely incorporated and that one still works. The autonomous tractor part, I'm not quite so sure about. But uh, we are who we are. Uh, we're going to continue with the name for now. And I'll explain, uh, hopefully, through this presentation why uh, the name is um, interesting, but a, a little bit problematic. Um, one of the things that I wanted to start out with was just the word autonomous. Um, there are a lot of people out there who use the word autonomous. And I don't think, uh, if you surveyed the people in here, that all of us would even agree uh, within a broad span, a broadband, what we mean by autonomous. We already have things that are autonomous out in the field. We have combines that separate the corn from the, from the cob. We have vehicles that steer themselves. We've had, according to some people in the industry, autonomous vehicles in the field for 20 years. Um, 
So I don't exactly know what other people mean by autonomous. I think of it as a spectrum. So you can have very rudimentary autonomy where it's doing certain things on its own which may be managed or observed by someone else on the vehicle. And then down the road, you may see vehicles that you wake up in the morning and the, and the your tractor's already gone out and plowed the field and come back in and you're still getting your second cup of coffee. Uh, that's probably not gonna happen really soon. But that's a broad spectrum of autonomy. And so um, I'll try to be pretty clear about what I mean by autonomous operations as I go through this. But autonomy, in the purest sense of the word, would be the latter definition. It is truly on its own, driving, functioning completely separately, and all you have to do is observe the results of the work. Um, that is probably not something that's gonna happen really soon. Uh, so we already did the introductions. I guess the premise of why we started this company, um, and not to talk about the company, but the, the premise here is we need to help farmers make more money. You can look at real farm income has been declining for years, and a lot of the methods, despite the best efforts of the people in the room, a lot of the methods really are a bit antiquated. Um, and some of the innovations that are still coming down the pike, I think, can help a lot. So we are very focused on making sure that we can help farmers make more money, just like all of you are in what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Here's one of the stats that um, always shocks me a little bit when I look at it. Um, over here, you have the price uh, of corn per bushel and the corn costs per bushel uh, since 1980. If you take the average year-to-year, uh, -year, how much revenue we got versus how much it cost us to make, do you know what the average income is over the last 20 years per bushel of corn? Minus one cent. That's pretty staggering. Costs are up 60%, prices are only up 40% on average over that time period. So farmers are having a hard time. Yes, during the good years, we can make more money. During the bad years, we have to draw on what we made during the good years just to keep things floating. And I, you know, if you look at and talk to the pundits, most people don't think that this situation is gonna get a lot better in the foreseeable future. So we have to learn to live in a world where our margins are absolutely razor thin and are likely to remain that way for quite a while. Our view on this is the only way, because we don't control the price of corn, we control the cost of production to some extent, we have to cut costs. We have to get costs out of the system in order to help farmers make more money over time. So where are the costs? This is corn cost production from the USDA from last year, the latest data that they have. Uh, the price of production for corn, uh, for corn following soybeans in Iowa is about uh, $4 a bushel in a situation where our projected revenue from that corn is only about 350. This is obviously gonna be a problem. Where are the costs? Obviously there's some land costs, but it's, it's interesting to see that labor, at least in this data, for this, this production for, of corn, is only about 5% of the total cost of production. So when people talk about autonomy, at least in this for corn, are we really talking about saving costs? It's 5%. There's much, much larger areas where you could save money. And I'll come back to this in a second, but it's not really a question of saving costs, at least in, in row crops. Um, it's a question of not being able to get the right people when you need them on the farm. Interestingly also, and you guys may already have seen this data or, or know of it, but equipment is almost 20% of the total costs of production for corn following soybeans in Iowa, um, there, which is you know, split relatively evenly, evenly when you look at seed 
and the fertilizers and chemicals and the equipment. But those are the three major costs. What I wanted to talk about today was really the equipment and the labor. They're, they're pretty closely linked. Um, but they represent collectively almost 25% of the costs of, of production. So when you look at the equipment side, where does the equipment costs come in? Well, obviously one of the biggest ones is capital. The stuff is expensive. So about half of the total cost on the equipment side is just the capital cost of the equipment, followed by fuel and repair. Those are the biggest costs that farmers face on the equipment side. So let's dig into that a little bit. Let's look at capital. The cost of machinery capital has uh, about doubled since uh, between 1975 and 2012. Compare that to seed, yes, that went up a lot. Fertilizer, relatively, relatively flat. Land rent, relatively flat. But this is really what's driving the increased cost uh, for farmers over time. Huge increases in the cost of the capital, and then uh, you know, what we aren't dealing with, but seed has also obviously risen quite a bit as well. Fuel, another one of the big costs. So you look at the improvement in tractor efficiency, uh, dating back, uh, this data goes all the way back to 1955, but if you look at this data in tractor efficiency, which is this yellow line, it's only increased about 17% over the last 60 years. And yet it is one of the largest costs the farmers face on the equipment side. Not very motivating. And then you look at repair. The repair costs, as I'm sure you guys are all intimately familiar with, have tracked almost one for one with the cost of the equipment. And therefore, in the last roughly 15 years, the cost of repairing and maintaining the equipment has nearly doubled. So these are some of the things that farmers are facing, going, how the heck are we going to cut costs in the face of rising equipment costs, not that much improvement in the fuel efficiency, rising maintenance costs, and yet they still have to try and cut costs when corn is sitting at 340, 350 a bushel. One of the big cost drivers, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, I met a guy earlier who specializes really just in the, the, uh, um, the electronic side of things, but the, the equipment's becoming very complex. Your illustrious machinery, Pete, said, you know, there's an increasing number of farmers placing greater value on acquiring older, simpler machines that do not require a computer to fix. And this is one of the things that's driving up the costs of repair for farmers. So how do we simplify things so that this doesn't also come back to bite them on the bottom line? And then you look at, the, at what this whole battle that's going on in court right now, a lot of these manufacturers don't even want the equipment to be worked on other than by themselves or their, you know, their representatives, you guys. And so there's, you know, who owns the tractor and who owns the data? It's a, it's a huge problem. This is, this is causing a lot, a lot of frustration among, among the farmers. So what do we think is a way to look at the solution? It may seem a little surprising, but we would say that electricity is one way to start tackling some of these issues. Tesla for tractors. Imagine an electric tractor out there. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about some of the challenges with the analogy to Tesla, but just give me, a, give me a moment. Tesla for tractors is one way to think of it. Why? Well, there's other people out there who've looked at this and said, well, with an electric tractor, you could get better fuel economy, you could increase the longevity of the equipment and reduce repair costs, and simplify the system significantly. Well, how does that happen? We think that you could get simplicity, increased durability, increased efficiency, greater precision, lower cost, and make it the ideal platform for semi 
autonomy by going with an electric-based system. And I'll walk through a little bit of this, but these are the key categories that we think we can tackle, or that we as an industry need to tackle by going towards a, I would say, a more modern platform. If you look at the automotive industry, clearly we are moving in the direction of electric vehicles, and that's happening in many different sectors. It just hasn't quite come to ag yet, and we think that it's, uh, it is ripe for ag to start embracing some of the more modern technologies like electric drivetrains. So simplicity, I'm sure you guys have seen pictures of it. This is a platform uh, of a Tesla. This is literally it. The batteries are here, a couple of motors, a couple of wires running the uh, electronics. Th that's the entire system. Imagine repairing that. When I was talking to a friend of mine who bought a Tesla and the dealer was 400 miles away, and he said, well, what am I gonna go back to the dealer for? Why, why, why do I need that? Well, that's a challenge when you guys start thinking about this. If we start moving towards electric systems and longevity goes up and simplicity is, is improved, well, how does that change your business models when we aren't coming in for repairs and new parts and stuff all the time? An interesting, an interesting conundrum. You can simplify the system because a lot of this stuff can go away. Um, if you look at just one kind of technology, fiber optic communications, you can literally take every wire in the entire tractor and replace it with one fiber optic cable. Now you're going to have multiple ones running different places, but you can literally take all of the communications you have and boil it down to one line. And you know how you check that line? You stick a flashlight in one end and if light comes out the other end, it's good. That's simplicity. You can replace at least 20 of the ECUs with less than five by going to an electric system because you can monitor and control everything digitally. It becomes a digital platform, much less of a mechanical platform. This gets into the, the uh, fiber optics, but fiber optics are pretty amazing and they are coming. I mean, they've been used obviously in, in internet communications, et cetera, but they are coming more and more to vehicles because of the fact that they're immune to interference. So you don't have shorted, shorting lines and you don't have electromagnetic interference. You don't have all that. It's much stronger than copper. It's a thousand times faster. And you can have one connection that just simply plugs in. That's it. So these are some of the innovations that are, are coming down the line that I think will start to help with some of the cost problems that farmers are facing with their equipment. Durability. This is sort of an eye chart to read, so I'll try and read it out a little bit for you, but we were looking at the durability and what the, you know, what the durability of a traditional system would be versus an electric, electric system. So on the far left, you have a 150 horsepower tractor, and we were looking at the estimated residual value based on University of Minnesota data after 10,000 hours of use, and you've lost about 70% of the value of the tractor. A smaller tractor in the 80 to 150 horsepower range, roughly the same. A combine, obviously, much lower residual value. A skid steer loader, still in the 70% loss range. A self-propelled sprayer, virtually worthless after 10,000 hours. But look at a Tesla. This is interesting. It's hard to make these like-for-like -like comparisons. So we looked at what Teslas are worth after 50,000 miles call it roughly half the life, as, as if you were looking at roughly half the life of the tractors. A Tesla retains, retains better than 70% of its value after 50,000 miles. The traditional systems have lost 70% of their value. 
Well, why is that? Well, one of the things is motors don't really break. If you go to the Department of Energy and you look at their expected lifespan for large motors greater than 100 horsepower, the average expected lifespan for an electric motor is 29 years, 200,000 hours of use, 10 times what you would get out of a traditional tractor. That's pretty shocking. And that's part of the reason, not the only reason, but part of the reason why you see Tesla's retaining way more than half their value even after you know, roughly half of their expected lifespan. This would certainly help with the cost side for the farmers if their equipment lasted for 25 years and didn't need the repairs. Some of those costs that they're facing would go down and start to help with that price versus cost calculus that they have to do. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I did want to, again, take a moment and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow the opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Well, Craig mentions the benefits of a Tesla for tractors model in the ag industry versus a transition to fully autonomous vehicles. An electric vehicle has only a small fraction of the moving parts of a mechanical or hydraulic vehicle. With a completely digitized system, communications can be dramatically simplified, eliminating hundreds of wire connections. Using fiber optic cables alone can reduce most of the wires in a tractor to just one cable, Schultz says. The real advantage could come in retaining equipment value. A Tesla retains better than 70% of its value after 50,000 miles, while traditional cars lose 70% of their value. Farmers would benefit greatly from equipment with longer lifespans and less frequent need for repair. Let's get back to the discussion now and hear more from Craig Schultz on the opportunities for electrification of equipment in the ag industry. Then you look at efficiency, right? We were looking at the data on tractors and how they'd only really gained about 16% fuel efficiency over the last 60 years. Well, here's one way to look at it. If you look at a gasoline-powered vehicle, and this is, it comes from the uh, U.S. Energy Information Administration, a gasoline-powered vehicle has roughly, in 2015, 35 miles per gallon equivalent. You move that to an, a hybrid gasoline and electric platform, you've just increased your efficiency by about 30%. Now, obviously, if you move to a completely electric platform, you'd increase it significantly more. But just this change from gasoline with a mechanical drivetrain to gasoline with an electric drivetrain increases it by about 30%. Why? Because transmissions are not that efficient. It's just a much more efficient way to transfer power that's sitting in the diesel fuel through the engine and down to the ground if you go electric. Here's another way that farmers can start to gain on the cost side. So here's the real rub when you're going to electric. And this is a problem that we have struggled with even in our own, uh, in our own work for, for many years. 
The problem is that most of the electric systems, the Teslas, all the, the systems that are out there for driving cars, the electric cars, are based off of the premise that you're going to use a battery. Right? That's just the way the electronics work. They don't like running directly off of generators. So we use batteries, and that's great if you're driving a Tesla and you only have to drive it at you know, 20% of the uh, full horsepower for most of the time. It's relatively efficient. You can carry 100 kilowatt hours of batteries on your car, and you're probably good. The problem is if you go to a tractor, you're going to need about 1,500 kilowatt hours. Now I'm just taking an average, about 200 horsepower, 150 kW, run it for 10 hours, 1,500 kilowatt hours that you would have to carry. Do you know what that would cost, just cost, for lithium-ion batteries of 1,500 kilowatt hours? It would be about $350,000 just for the batteries. No tractor, just batteries. And it would weigh more than the tractor itself weighed. That is a problem. So part of the reason why we haven't seen some of these innovations coming into the agriculture space is because of this core problem. The systems today are designed to use batteries, and in our situation, batteries won't work unless you want to carry around a grain cart full of batteries behind you. So that, that's part of the problem, but you can overcome that. So to just give you an idea of how this works. So here's an example. This is a, a beautiful John Deere 4930 self-propelled sprayer. The way it used to be powered was with a, an engine up here, and then you have a set of three hydraulic pumps that are powering the hydraulic uh, motor, wheel motors that sit in the hubs of each of the wheels. You don't have to power it that way. You can couple a generator to the engine and use electric wheel motors and then some of the magic in the, in the electronics in order to make those wheel motors work without batteries. So part of what I'm trying to I guess, communicate to you guys today is this stuff is coming. The world is moving to electric vehicles. And I fundamentally believe it's going to have a huge impact on your businesses. Because the traditional model is slowly going away. And you will see electric vehicles coming. And that's going to be a big, a big change for, for the way you guys run, not just necessarily in precision space, but your, your dealerships overall. So this is happening. These are the motors. They go into, the, into the, uh, where the old hydraulic motors were, and then you can stick a generator underneath. Other uses for electrical-powered um, vehicles. We have these huge trains that farmers are trying to pull with these big tractors. And the tractors are just getting overpowered. I mean, it's like trying to pull extra stuff with your combine. But at some point, you reach the practical limits of what the equipment can do. Why can't we have supportive power systems in the implements. And if you are putting supportive power systems in the implements, you now have control over the implements. You have greater precision of the implements because you're directly steering the implements. Well, think about that from a precision standpoint. No longer are you dragging stuff through the field. You're carrying it. You're steering every single wheel in this entire contraption. You can control and power the entire system, creating huge efficiencies on the precision side. Other places you could put, I mean, this has been done in a million different places. But what I really wanted to get to now, so we've talked about the equipment. It's 18% of the total cost of production. There are ways to save on the, the key costs of capital and fuel and maintenance. 
What about that other labor part? So I was supposedly going to come up here and talk about autonomy. Figured I should address it. So in row crops, now we're not talking strawberries, we're not talking apples, where it's a totally different ballgame. But if we're talking about row crops, the, you know, the cost of the labor itself isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is that we have periods in the year where we need more labor, and it can't be just some kid walking off the street. They actually have to know what they're doing. We need qualified labor for short periods of time in high peak demand periodically throughout the season in order to get the stuff done that we need to get done in that window of operating time when no one can predict when it's actually going to happen and it may or may not rain that day. That's the labor problem. And if you have good labor, you can improve the consistency of your operations, you can make it more efficient, you can have higher yields, but this problem in the labor is one of not being there with the right people at the right time. It's not necessarily a cost problem. So if that's the case, well, we've had autonomous tractors. I was a little bit shocked, actually, to, to see this. We've had, quote unquote, autonomous tractors for almost 70 years. Is that a little bit surprising? This guy, Frank Andrew, I know you guys probably may or may not have heard of the story, but Frank Andrew invented the first autonomous tractor in 1940. It was actually a completely self-driving tractor. Had this crazy contraption of wires and stuff to control it, but it was autonomous, and it worked. And Ford in the 1950s, we had deer starting on things in the 70s, and in the 80s, we get the precision ag bug, and suddenly people are like, oh, wow, we really got to move to GPS steering, which has had huge benefits for us. Now we have tractors that essentially steer themselves, still with a driver in the cab. And now in 2010, we have all sorts of announcements about autonomous tractors. Well, here's part of the problem with the name Autonomous Tractor Corporation. An autonomous tractor doesn't actually do very much for you. Sad to say, but it doesn't. The tra tractor provides power and mobility to something that's actually doing the work in the field. That's the implement. So the Autonomous Implement Corporation, that might have been a little bit better, but the Autonomous Tractor Corporation doesn't actually do that much for you because tractors provide power and mobility to other things that are operating in the field, and if those things that are operating in the field are now as smart and autonomous as the tractor, you really don't have much. So I would say, to be a bit provocative, that autonomous tractors are not the objective. Autonomous implements, now that would be pretty interesting. But we've had autonomous tractors, and it's just that in and of itself doesn't actually do much. Why? Well, let's get back to the labor problem. Autonomous tractors don't really solve the problem because it's not driving, it's not steering in and of itself that's the problem. Has GPS steering worked wonders for us? Absolutely. We we're just having a conversation about less fatigue, greater precision. There's all sorts of huge benefits for it. It's not autonomous because it's still got a driver in the cab, but it has had a lot of driver benefits by moving to that system. But when you remove the driver from the cab, now, you guys won't think this, but when I talk to people who aren't quite as deep in the ag space as you are, they say, well, it's the driver. Well, the driver doesn't really drive, right? Yes, he drives or she drives, but they're managing that operation, right? They're not just sitting there holding the steering wheel on 10 and 2 and driving it down the field. That's actually quite rare. They're managing the operations. 
when you look at some of this equipment, and this person in the cab has to make sure that all that is operating correctly. And not only does it have to be operating correctly, it has to be operating correctly every single time, and every time you go out in the field, the conditions have changed. So a dynamic environment with complicated equipment, trying to take all of the great agronomic practices that you guys are teaching them, and that, that sits up here. It's not in the tractor, it's learning how to farm. And I would posit that we are a long ways. We can hardly train our kids how to farm, much less get computers to learn how to farm. We're a ways from having robotic farmers. It's not gonna happen that soon. Part of the reason is because drivers are there to manage all of the exceptions, and this is just a very short list that took me all of about five minutes to put together. Of all the exceptions that drivers are managing, they're not there driving the tractor, they're there managing the operations. So what happens when you realize that there's a rock in the field that came up during the freeze? Well, somebody's gotta take care of that. What happens when the hitch pin breaks? What happens when you have to refill the equipment? What happens when you have the electrical system gets a short in it? What happens when I talk to people who are in there day in and day out, they are not just sitting in that tractor and then driving home. They're getting out, they're doing something to manage that operation at least three or four times per quarter section. Something's coming up. Now from an autonomy standpoint, think about this for a second. Let's just imagine a world where you actually did have a completely autonomous system, implement and tractor, and you set it out. And it's going, and you get back in your truck, and you take off, to go to the next field and all of a sudden, ding, uh, there's a rock in the field. Can you come back and help? Oh, crap. Go all the way back to the field. Now you gotta get out of your truck. You gotta find the tractor in the field, take care of the problem, get the thing going again, go back, get in your truck and take off at the field again and all of a sudden, ping, uh, we had a problem with the hydraulics. Now you gotta go all the way. Are you really gonna be running in and out of the field like that every 45 minutes, every two hours? while this thing's running and you have to keep going back and taking care of all the stuff that are, is gonna happen? Probably not. That doesn't seem like the right approach. And part of the problem is autonomy works really well. Automation works really well in repetitive, mundane tasks. I don't think that you would get very many farmers to say that it's the same, time, same thing every single time I go out. It changes every time. And that makes true autonomy, the I'm on my second cup of coffee and the tractor comes back kind of autonomy, extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. And not even necessarily the answer, right? We looked at the cost, the cost of labor, and that's not really the problem, it's the seasonality of labor. So we need an extra helping hand. Well, if we need a helping hand, that means we're gonna be in the field anyway. So do we really need a completely autonomous tractor out there doing whatever it's supposed to do? I would suggest no. That's not even necessarily the objective. The objective is to take care of the labor problem, the seasonality where we have a shortage of qualified labor for short periods of time when we're already in the field doing work so that we can have a helping hand that does things consistently and they actually show up when they're supposed to show up. And they do it consistently, they do it right, and we are there to watch and manage that equipment just like we would if we had a helping hand. So I would offer that the answer here trying to wrap all this up, is semi-autonomous equipment. 
It doesn't have to go out while we're filling up our second cup of coffee and come back. It has to operate independently enough while we are within a reasonable distance of that vehicle so that we can take care of all the exceptions like we would if we had a driver and it's offering a helping hand to close that seasonal labor gap that we all know exists in, uh, in almost every place that I've ever visited um, in North America. So semi-autonomy might be a way to think about it. A helping hand. It doesn't go off on its own. You're watching it, you're managing it, it's giving you feedback. You're taking care of the issues and managing the exceptions. And it probably should be electric for all of the reasons that we talked about earlier. More efficient, less cost, more durable, simpler. And if we get to that kind of world, one might imagine that you wouldn't actually need as many tractors because you could have self-powered, self-propelled, semi-autonomous implements doing the work alongside you in the field during the key seasons where you don't have enough labor. So if I had to rename our company, the semi-autonomous implement corporation might be more appropriate than the autonomous tractor corporation because I don't think autonomous tractors are actually the answer, and I'm not sure that's where this is headed. Well, thank you, Craig, for sharing your insight and forecast for the advancement of semi-autonomous vehicles in agriculture. I'd like to again recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. Also, I'll look for you at the upcoming Precision Farming Dealer Summit, January 8th and 9th in Louisville. Again, the theme of this dealer-only event is Bridging the Precision Profitability Gap and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit PrecisionFarmingDealerSummit.com for more information and updates. You can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free daily email update. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on January 10th for the first episode in our 2018 podcast series. And again, I look forward to seeing you in Louisville this coming January at the third Precision Farming Dealer Summit. For Craig Schultz, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>